1: Welcome to noon edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg, co-hosting with WFIU News, Direct, News, News Bureau Chief, Sarah Whitmire. This week, we're talking about education legislation at the Indiana State House. We have four guests with us. We have Denny Kosterison who is the Indiana Association of School Business Officials Executive Director. Carrie Spratlin is the Indiana School Board Association Executive Director. Paul Farmer is a teacher with the Bloomington High School, with Bloomington High School North and the Monroe County Education Association President. And Eric Weddle is the WFYI Education Editor. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, and you can send us your questions there. And you can follow us. At, uh, and send questions to news at indiana public org. I appreciate you all being here today. I'm sorry I messed up a couple of those introductions. I want to start with Eric Weddle from WFYI, the education editor. And Eric, Sarah Whitmire's newscast talked about the incident that occurred at the Statehouse yesterday, and it went right. into some detail about it. Um, but I wonder if you could dig a little deeper into what what that bill, the bill that was in question, what it would have done, and why there are... Uh, concerns that it might be uh, a racist bill
2: sure so um, it's house bill 1367 um, and I always tell people you know if you want to learn about a bill you go onto the website of the um, state house and you can read the fiscal analysis which I think gives people straight up English um, on those bills so I'd recommend that for people um, but this is an issue that's been going on for a few years um, green township um WANTS TO SUCCEED FROM SOUTH BEND SCHOOLS. SO BASICALLY PEOPLE THAT LIVE IN THIS AREA, THEY ARE, YOU KNOW, THEIR NEIGHBORHOOD SCHOOL, THE AUTOMATIC SCHOOL THEY'RE ENROLLED IN IS SOUTH BEND. Um, AND THEY WANT TO HAVE TO BE BASICALLY BE AN ANNEXED OUT OF THAT. Um, AND THEY WANT, um, THEY wanted TO ATTEND, YOU KNOW, A, a DIFFERENT SCHOOL. Um, SO IT WOULD ALLOW STUDENTS THAT ARE IN ST. Joseph COUNTY SCHOOLS TO LEAVE THE SOUTH BEND COMMUNITY SCHOOLS AND GO TO A DIFFERENT DISTRICT. And why we're seeing such, you know, objections to this right now, um, is South Bend Community Schools, you know, is more racially diverse. Um, and the other school district that um, these families would be going to, you know, um, is more, more rural um, and it's more, more of a white school district. And already there's been students who have been leaving this area to attend. They've been leaving South Bend schools the past few years to attend this other school.
1: So what would that mean for the financial help from the state?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, so, you know, money follows a student in Indiana. So, um, you know, the students who live in this area, if they did choose to leave South Bend schools, um, you know, South Bend Community Schools would lose the state funding that's associated with each student. So that money would follow them to the other school district and they would they would lose that enrollment level and that student funding.
1: All right thanks Eric for that that uh, explanation. So I want to want to go to I want to I want to move into very quickly into the the effects that COVID-19 has had on school corporations uh, particularly financially and I want to ask uh, Denny Kesterson and and Terry Spl- Spradlin to each comment on this. So Denny you're from the Indiana Association of School Business Officials. How has COVID um created difficulties for you and your colleagues? and trying to make sure that the school corporations can run and have enough money to run.
3: Well, thank you. Uh, First, thank you for allowing me to be uh, on the broadcast today. Uh, Yes, COVID, of course, has impacted so many of us uh, in in different ways. But for for any public schools, and and specifically those who deal with the business functions of schools, is making sure that we, uh, again, have uh, the the safe and and clean uh, facilities for our schools. And also setting up uh, the, the new virtual programs. Uh, we've had e-learning uh, before, but that was usually because we had a, a snow day. Uh, these are these are different situations, and so uh, the costs have been uh, substantial that have been we've had to deal with. Luckily, with the First Cares Act, uh, that did help uh, with some of those costs. But there definitely is a, an issue, and, and the biggest issue, and you mentioned it earlier is about again how we, we look at the the enrollment uh, and, and the number of students. Uh, there was a provision in the current uh, uh, legislation that we have that says that a virtual student only receives 85% of, of the funding, not the total funding. And uh, with again with so many districts going to virtual, this was going to be a loss of millions of dollars to uh, to a lot of K- K-12 districts. So. Uh, Last June 17th, the governor and legislative leaders said they were going to have 100% funding for, for K-12, which we greatly appreciated. But then we had to make the change in how, again, those, those students are counted. And so the State Board of Education in September did change a rule to allow 100% funding for those students who were virtual in, in the regular K-12 school buildings. Then, but that was only good until December 31st. So we needed the General Assembly to uh, then pass bills, a bill to deal with it. Uh, Senate Bill 2, uh, House Bill 1003, are bills that are moving the General Assembly. We, we appreciate that the General Assembly's put these in, uh, making these as, as priority bills. Uh, we anticipate then for this school year uh, that when these bills pass, and we, we know the governor will, will sign them, sign which one of those, that uh, we will have full funding for this fiscal year. So that was that was a, tr- a tremendous help for us to make sure that we could, again, continue our, our corporations moving forward.
1: All right. So Terry Spradlin, that bill and others, I'm sure you're keeping a close eye on in terms of school funding. Uh, which ones are you paying particular attention to?
4: Thanks, Bob. Good afternoon, everyone. Great to be with you. Uh, regarding COVID and our efforts to... Address the pandemic and have effective school reentry plans. I first of all want to commend and celebrate our teachers uh, who have been heroic this school year. Um, being in the classroom, they've not been prioritized for vaccines. We wish that would change, um, uh, but they've been heroic. Our principals, our school administrators, even our school board members who are ensuring that we continue with effective school governance and oversight. Uh, They've pivoted, too, to have electronic meetings and and provide access to the public. So throughout the year and with changes to uh, positivity rates of COVID, we have had to pivot a number of times. So, you know, with trying to get students back in person in the fall semester, now again in the spring semester, at times having to go to hybrid or completely virtual. In some counties, we've been ordered to go completely virtual by county health departments or county health commissioners. So again, it's been a heroic effort this year. Uh, We are thankful for the federal government round two of the cares act money. uh, What Congress passed recently will be significant in helping us manage our different cost one time expenses associated with COVID, the the maintenance expenses, the PPE supplies and and equipment, cost, technology, uh, Wi-Fi and broadband connectivity, personnel issues. Uh, there have been uh, pretty intensive one-time costs associated uh, with the pandemic. Initial projections were over a million and a half per school corporation to respond to COVID on average. And uh, and the longer this continues, the greater the costs are, the escalation of expenses. So again, we appreciate what Congress has done. We have actually appreciate a lot of what the legislature has already done. One bill passed yes, or signed yesterday by the governor into law is Senate Bill One providing some civil um, civil liability immunity protections uh, for public officials, including school officials? And so, we appreciated that legislation. We have legislation uh, that will provide 100 uh, funding that you've just talked about. Senate Bill Two and House Bill 1003; those are certainly timely, responsive bills due to the pandemic. But in the the bigger picture, long term, the budget's number one. The budget is king, and funding of public education. I will hope we can dig into that a lot more about the impact of these school choice expansion bills and how that diverts money away from public education and the more than 1 million children we educate. So ten, House Bill 1001 is priority one, two, and three. Everything else is, is kind of a distant second. There are many bills moving. Yesterday alone, the legislature took action on 34 different bills yesterday that are on the ISBA tracking list. When, during the first half of the bill process, and I'll stop here, we've tracked 180 bills. So that's a lot of legislation for any session, uh, all related to K-12 education or, or child-related legislation. So uh, next week we get to the halfway point. Third reading deadline is on Tuesday in the Senate. We're hoping that that tracking list is greatly reduced by more than half and that the bill list continues to get uh, narrowed down to, as the bill process continues.
1: Terry, we definitely will get into the voucher issue and and funding um, later in the program, but I I want to go to Paul Farmer and sort of end this round on COVID, or at least uh, our first round on COVID, by talking to you, Paul. and Paul's been with us a few times during uh, the response to COVID here in 2020, and and now for the first time in 2021, but how are things on the ground for teachers? Uh, Terry said teachers are being heroic. How do you feel about that? Well, uh, again, first of all, thanks again for,
5: um, having me back on. Um, and as Terry said, and, and I'm sure as a lot of others have said, um, absolutely appreciate the teachers. Um, you know, you get into teaching profession cause you love kids. Um, and you know, you want them to be safe and you want yourself to be safe. Um, and, it, it, this year has really shown, I think, um, from a standpoint of, the, of, of what the teachers do care about their students and care about their families. Um, here, you know, here in Bloomington, uh, we've been very, very fortunate and very blessed um, in a lot of different ways. Um, one of the things that uh, uh, we have going for us that a lot of other places do not um, we have a very robust online, um, I'll use the term online academy scenario, where our, uh, many of our families have chosen, I'll say an average, because it, it varies, depends upon your building, an average of around 38 to 40% of our students in the families have chosen for our students to be 100% online all year. Of course, that like I said, it varies by building. Some buildings are as much as 85% in person, others are 50% in person. So it just varies, but what that does allow us to do that many of our other local schools around us is social distancing. Um, we do have some classrooms that are a little tighter than others. Um, usually, if that's the case, they have to move. Um, we've had some that have had to go to a gym um, because they have so many. Um, so there's there's you know they've split them into two separate classrooms and a variety of things. Um, so with Our kids and faculty are awesome with wearing masks. Um, Of course, we still have some situations with troubles with that, especially with some of our little ones, Um, but they've been awesome too. So, I mean, we're very fortunate. Um, There are some corporations, like I said, around, um, they're 95, 98% in person. They don't have the space capacity to be able to uh, separate the kids that six foot distance that's recommended and so on. And so they do struggle. Um, uh, we also have um, our corporation and, and the association. We are very collaborative. We work together quite a bit. If we have a teacher who um, has to self-quarantine because maybe they're exposed by a child at home um, or like their uh, child may be on an athletic team um, and they have to, have to uh, self-quarantine, um, we're able to work from home. Um, We will work from home. We put a guest teacher in the classroom to watch the students while we're at home doing live instruction. Um, That's kind of a rarity. You don't see that in a lot of other school corporations. They don't have the resources. You know, we were talking, Dennis was talking about um, resources and things. Monroe County, we put a lot into that to keep our teachers active. I'm very proud of them. Um, uh, And I'm proud of our administrators, too. Um, Our administrators have done an incredible job. Our principals, assistant principals, principals. Uh, they, they, they've worked just as hard as our teachers have. And, and I appreciate the efforts that they've had, they've done.
1: All right. We're talking about uh, the, the education legislation that's going through the state house. We started with some conversation about COVID. If you have questions for us, you can find us on Twitter at Noon Edition. And you can also send your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Eric Weddle, could you set the stage for us on the voucher issue, which has taken up a lot of uh, discussion sure. time in the legislature?
2: Yeah, well, um, I think we're I think we are coming up on the 10 year anniversary of the voucher law. Maybe someone else in the room can correct me if that's off. I think you know, 10 years ago, the law was passed that created um, um, the ability for state funding, uh, you know, to follow the student um, who chose to attend a private school, and for some of that money to go toward paying a private uh, private tuition. Um, AND SO WHEN THAT you know, PROGRAM STARTED UNDER um, FORMER GOVERNOR MS. DANIELS, THERE WAS REALLY A HEAVY FOCUS ON THAT GOING TO STUDENTS AND FAILING SCHOOLS, um, LOW INCOME STUDENTS, YOU KNOW, SEEN AS KIND OF GIVING THEM, YOU KNOW, a, AN OPPORTUNITY, YOU KNOW, TO MAKE A DECISION, YOU KNOW, TO GO TO ANOTHER SCHOOL if, IF THEY WANTED TO, IF THEIR FAMILY WANTED TO. AND OVER THE YEARS, YOU KNOW, WE'VE SEEN THE ELIGIBILITY FOR THAT EXPAND um, UNDER MIKE PENCE, FORMER GOVERNOR MIKE PENCE, YOU KNOW, IT EXPANDED GREATLY. Um, And so now we've come to this session where the proposal that we have right now would greatly, um, you know, expand the eligibility for who can receive a voucher. Um, And the numbers that have come out so far that it would basically be for a family of four, um, it would be someone who can qualify up to $145,000 a year. And that's um, well above um, the state's MEDIAN INCOME FOR FAMILIES, WHICH IS you know $74,000. SO IT'S REALLY CREATING, uh, YOU KNOW, A LARGE CHANGE IN WHO WOULD BE ABLE TO USE THIS PROCESS. Um, ADDITIONALLY, YOU KNOW, BASED ON THE DOCUMENTS THAT HAVE COME OUT THE ANALYSIS, A LOT OF FAMILIES WHO WOULD BE ELIGIBLE, YOU KNOW, MAY ALREADY HAVE CHOSEN TO ATTEND A PRIVATE SCHOOL. Um, AND SO THIS WOULD ALLOW THEM TO BASICALLY REMAIN IN THEIR SCHOOL AND USE THE STATE FUNDING um, TO PAY THAT. Um, OF COURSE, YOU KNOW, in the past decade, we've seen the Democrats, you know, try to stop this. There was a state Supreme Court case in 2013 um, even about this. And so really for the Republicans and those who support this, you know, this is kind of seen as kind of one of the final steps almost in um, the private school voucher expansion.
1: Sarah?
6: Okay, maybe Terry Spradlin can answer this question, but it uh, it was a question we got sent in. It says, how does expanding vouchers enhance the education of the more than 90% of families who over the last 10 years have made their choice in its public schools?
4: I'd be happy to address that. That is one of our key arguments and talking points in opposition to the school choice and voucher expansion proposals considered by the being considered by the House, House Bill 1005, 1001, and then by the Senate and Senate Bill 412 and 413, uh, the answer is it doesn't help because all of the funding for these programs are mixed into the tuition support formula that pays for public education. So that expense is over $7.5 billion annually. And then when we take off the top, a significant amount for the voucher program Erica's right the first year the program started was 2011-12 so we're in our 10th year that first year the expense was 15.5 million and so today that cost has grown to over 170 million dollars per year the total expense of the voucher program has been in excess now of 1.1 billion dollars over the 10 years and so Here's the thing. We have been struggling in Indiana to keep up with funding of public education and prioritizing funding public education. In 2004, Indiana ranked 22nd in the nation on per pupil spending, and today, unfortunately, we rank 39th. And then the other key statistic, I'll just point out one more, is that in, in since 2001, Indiana ranks last in the nation on average INCREASE IN TEACHER COMPENSATION, AVERAGE ANNUAL INCREASE IN TEACHER COMPENSATION WERE DEAD LAST. SO WE'RE NOT INVESTING THE RESOURCES, THE the FUNDING WE NEED uh, TO PROVIDE AN EXCELLENT EDUCATION, ALTHOUGH WE ARE, DESPITE THE INADEQUATE FUNDING, I CAN CITE SEVERAL STATISTICS SAYING WE'RE DOING QUITE WELL ACADEMICALLY, AND I DID PRESENT THAT DATA TO THE WAYS AND MEANS COMMITTEE LAST WEEK, BUT Clearly we need more money uh, to keep up uh, pay teachers better and um, to make sure we're providing a high quality education that every student deserves. So when you're taking money off the top and and some of these proposals are in excess of a hundred million dollars when you add some of the expansion of the charter school funding we're probably getting closer to $200 million. The governor and the legislature so far has only proposed $378 million in new money over the next two years. So if you're giving. Half of that for choice expansion that leaves very little for the more than one million children, the more than ninety percent of children that public schools educate, and we are the the schools of choice and therefore we want the dollars to follow the child to public education and that needs to be the legislature's priority. it is the only constitutional duty that they provide for a system of a free and open you know, common schools available to all, and hence public schools. So we remind them that that is their constitutional duty. We remind them of these statistics and the trending, and uh, we're hoping by the end of the session when the budget is adopted that uh, what's on the table now will be modified and there will be additional money driven for public education.
1: Denny Custerison, if you could uh, dive a little, dive into that as well about uh, when, you as a business official and you're you're the executive director of the Indiana Association of School Business Officials, what does this mean for an individual school district? Um, I know that they would have a different meaning for pretty much all districts, but is there some can you give us some indication of uh the worst effects and perhaps the the, the school districts that might not have quite as bad effects, but what it would still mean for them, the public school districts? If uh, the voucher program is expanded like this like has been proposed,
3: sure, Bob. and And I'd like to start out by saying that our association has has always uh, uh, again opposed the expansion of of, of the choice programs, uh, the voucher program, uh, primarily because of uh, there's there's really uh, nothing that shows that that again, these dollars are going. there's not there's not been very much transparency about how these dollars are being used. And uh, whether these students really are, are doing as well as, as other students, but uh, that are in K-12, but are, are, who are tested. So uh, saying that, yeah, the, the issue occurred, comes down to, and we've, we've always hit this, is again uh, the philosophy in the Indiana General Assembly now is money following the child. So if those, if students are not going to to a regular K-12 school building, uh, and move uh, and and the parents decide to go to a uh, to a private school and take the this advantage, uh, then that does take money away from from uh, K-12 schools because they don't have the, the students aren't there. So it's a, a matter of the the students and and the movement that we we have there, and uh, I I am I am pleased and and Terry has uh, hit hit this very well, but that yesterday, that at least in the Senate Appropriations Committee. The, uh, the two bills that have uh, language about uh, expansion of, of choice, uh, one, uh, the, the language was actually taken out of the bill. The other bill was, was held uh, because, again, this is uh, they're going to put this into uh, look, reviewing this, dealing with uh, the state budget, and the budget will be coming over to the Senate uh, after, after Monday, and uh, they will start looking at it that way. So we're, we're hopeful that, uh, again, we'll continue to to look at this uh, again, the, the fiscal issue is 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 uh, exactly what Terry said, and it's a it's a it's a major problem, especially when you have uh, uh, the the governor's commission on uh, teacher compensation saying that we are uh, uh, far behind dealing with with teacher salaries. Uh, this should have been, if it hadn't been for COVID, this would have been the year that I think a, a lot of money would have been set aside specifically for for teacher compensation, but the, but COVID happened. So uh, it, the the bottom line is this comes down to a, to a money situation uh, of how we look at this. And I know that uh, the other side, though, says it's a parental choice uh, decision, but for, for K-12 districts, we have to look at the, at the whole picture here, that dealing with again, the finances of, of the school districts.
1: So could you, uh, and maybe Terry explain, get, give us a little perspective on this. So if, uh, if, one of these bills passed as it's uh, and takes the kind of money you're talking about, 100 million, 200 million off the the top. What might that mean in in a percentage manner for a school corporation? A, a, if if there is such a typical school corporation in the state, could it be a a one percent decrease in the amount of money coming from the state, or a five percent decrease, or or can you?
3: well i'll i'll let terry speak to this too but um one percent on the school formula is 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 75 million dollars and so if it's 100 million there there that would be taking over one percent away from what maybe potentially could be given to to the regular k-12 district so it's a it's a substantial uh uh decrease when you when you know that the current budget which we believe was a very positive budget for k-12 gave a two and a half percent increase each year uh so again the the impact would would be would be substantial if if it goes through as it is right now
4: all right Terry yeah the uh the the budget that Denny referred to the two point five percent tuition support increase is the current budget that we're operating under presently in fiscal year twenty one You know, we, Denny and I both stood with the governor, the president, pro tem, the speaker, the ways and means chairman and appropriations chairman, April 23rd of 2019 to announce the current budget. That time we, we, uh, uh, celebrated the budget, commended the legislature for giving us real money to work with two and a half percent increases annually on top of a one percent increase, the equivalent of a one percent increase from the governor's pension pay down strategy that freed up money locally that we could put into teacher pay. So in total, we had nearly 4% new money to work with last fiscal year and this fiscal year. The other thing I'd quickly commend the governor on is holding the line on, uh, on that increase, no cuts to public education occurred this year due to COVID, despite that other agencies, state agencies and programs were cut by 15 up to 15%. So we are fortunate that, We were able to implement those increases in funding this year and but were it not for COVID as Denny mentioned we would probably be primed and seeking continuation of that level of funding to accelerate pay for teachers and uh, our standing in the nation on per pupil spending. So uh, timing is everything and it's so unfortunate um, when this happened because it has slowed some momentum that we were building and uh, the teacher compensation report was helpful, too, to make the case. The statistics in that report of where we stand nationally are ve- very compelling and substantiate what us and the association leadership group have been saying for the last couple of years. So, um, but there, there's no excuse. The The revenue forecast for the state far exceeds expectations despite COVID. Revenues are up. Uh, they've managed well. We have money to spend, and they are – spending it. They've got a a number of things on the table from this current fiscal year that they're going to spend money on, including broadband, which is helpful for citizens across the state of Indiana, especially in rural areas. But we just need them to laser focus on, again, the the more than 90% of kids in public education, that we are the schools of choice. Yes, let's have the dollars follow the child. And this year alone, more than 70,000 parents, when using open enrollment chose another public school corporation or for a school, another school for their child to attend, but public school. And uh, so we are the schools of choice. We want them to prioritize public ed just as they have in the past two years over the next two years.
6: Eric, could you jump in and explain this whole group of school choice bills, how many there are to follow?
2: In terms of just you know I I actually don't know how many there are I mean I think that's one of the issues right now there's a lot of different bills in terms of um changing funding changing I mean there's a lot of things in the budget bill possibly someone else could explain better um what is out there or how many they're out there outside oh, okay. of the one I mean I mean H. you know we talked about HB um One zero zero five. You know, in addition to the voucher expansion, you know that also contains the creation of the um, education savings account or the so-called education scholarship account, which would be the first time Indiana would would allow families to basically get an account of their state state funding for their child and then use it to spend it on how they choose, like with a tutor, or going to a private school or different ways. So I think that's, you know, in terms of school choice, that's the other big focus right now that that we're hearing about.
6: Okay. Um, Terry, did you want to add anything to it?
4: Sorry, I had my microphone on mute. I'm back here now. Sure. Uh, you know, 10.05 is going to be the core vehicle along with 10.01. Denny mentioned a short time ago, and I'm sure he'll want to chime back in here too. The Senate made a statement yesterday in the Appropriations Committee, and we thank Senator Mishler, Ryan Mishler, chair of that committee, for choosing to hold uh, Senate Bill 412. So that, therefore, that bill is dead. But in addition on Senate Bill 412 had the Education Savings Account Included in it, the creation of that program. Uh, Senate Bill 413 had provisions to expand the Choice Scholarship Voucher Program. And there was an amendment to that bill, and the Appropriations Committee yesterday adopted, which narrows the scope of the expansion and maintains for that program the maximum payout on tuition support for higher income families at either 50% or 70% versus. of tuition support expense so they did allow for expansion of the choice scholarship voucher program in the bill 413 for uh, foster care children and siblings of students already enrolled in in the choice scholarship program but because of the amendment and 412 dying uh, the senate has allowed for very narrow expansion and we're probably talking $14 million in expense versus what is in 10, 1005 in the state budget passed by the House Republicans, which cost $144 million. So there's a vast difference in, in the scope of expansion between House Republicans and what the Senate Republicans did yesterday. Uh, we prefer the Senate version of, of the expansion. But those are those are the four core bills that we've been tracking on choice of course, in the state budget, there's also monies for charter school facility grants and um, for virtual charter school funding at 100%. I, I mentioned that earlier, and when you add those expenses into uh, House Bill 1005 expense, we're nearing $200 million in expense.
2: Right, yeah, I just want to add too, um, you know, we we're talking about the issue of the charter schools. You know, it, it, charter schools do not receive property tax funds. Um, and that was you know, one of the decisions when the the law was created you know that was kind of excessive set them apart Um, and now we're hearing a greater call year after year for them to either receive property tax funds or additional funding Um, you know like we just mentioned they would um, in the house budget bill they would be able to receive this grant um, that would go up from twelve to twelve hundred fifty dollars and currently it's seven hundred fifty dollars and that's per student and that's a way to allow them to get more funding um, because they don't receive those property taxes, and so those, that's some of the money that people are concerned of. That that the governor has said is available for education funding, but that's the funding that could then go to charter schools or other schools of choice instead of traditional public schools.
5: If if I could add an, another thing to that, um, as we're you know talking about the funding that's that's the charters, the vouchers, the SGOS. Um, the education savings accounts, all of those. And we've talked about this, that potentially 150 to $200 million um, is going to these other, I won't call them special entities besides public schools. And so what is left over out of that 378, you know, house bill or 377, what the governor presented, um, million dollars that's left. You know, we talk about it being, you know, two and a half percent and all this other stuff. But if you really just look at the public schools, it's, it's around 1.5% or 1.2 to 1.5% over an average over two years. So inflation is right at, I think 1.4% right now. Um, When you start looking at what are the public schools that 90% of all of our students, what they are getting versus 10% of everybody else, what they're getting, it is hugely, I mean, enormously disproportionate um, in how those funds are being given to those groups. Um, The other thing is that we really haven't talked much about at all, Um, I've brought this up in other conversations that we've had with other uh, other shows that that I've been on. We talked about the ADM dates, the average daily membership for the students. Uh, We just had an ADM date back here in, in February, at the beginning of February. Right now, MCCSE, we're down 650 students. Um, We, Actually, it's plus. um, We have tried everything, knocking on doors, calling families, going everywhere to find these students. Well, from a financial standpoint, and I've even asked legislature this, so are we going to be funded off of this year's COVID numbers? So if we're down... 650 students well it's a quick multiplier we're talking anywhere from six to seven million dollars that mccsc is down and we're going to have to budget that then for next fall which means we're losing staff we have to there's no way we can function with with losing six to seven million dollars and being down um and we're not alone in this i mean most school corporations around our, our ADM numbers are lower. Um, now, they're going to say, yeah, but they may show up next fall. Well, but we had to get rid of the staff last spring. So we're going to all of a sudden do a huge hire in the fall. I mean, it's really, it's like a big roller coaster um, that we're going through. Um, you know, and, and again, when you talk about the vouchers, and we talked about how it started way back in 2011, it actually starts way before then, actually, in the conversations. The original, well, we knew it wasn't going to go this way, but their original thought was, well, we want to give it to those who are disadvantaged, those who are financially disadvantaged so that they could go to better schools and so on and so forth. Um, that was one of their biggest mantras of pushing that. Well, we know that's not the case now. We're at, what, two and a half, almost three times the poverty level um, of giving it now um, for the 150000 for 400 people or for four people in a family. It's just the whole rationalization of it is is just not right. Um, And thank goodness, as I think uh, Denny was saying, you know, with the House Bill uh, 412 being held and 413, the hard part is, as we all know from past experience, um, things are not dead until it's done voted. They'll bring them on. They'll bring things and put things back in out of thin air as long as they get a hearing they can be brought back in um, and and that's what really worries I think a lot of us is well what are they going to do tomorrow what are they going to do the next day so that's just a big concern too
1: thank you that was Paul Farmer the a teacher from Bloomington High School North and the MCEA president uh, we're also talking with Eric Weddle WFYI education editor. Carrie Spradlin, Indiana School Board Association Executive Director, and Denny Kastarison, Kuster- who's the Indiana Association of School Business Officials Executive Director. If you have questions, you can send them to us at, on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can also send them to news at Indiana Public Media org. Paul, I wanted to follow up with you on that. So I just wondered about the um, the teaching profession and the the people who are still coming into the teaching profession people who might be leaving it because of these, the numbers that uh, I believe it was Terry that, that cited numbers about Indiana's um, the, the, the the increases for teachers in the last several years and which is last in the nation and how, um, you know, you're unsure this year about whether there'll be any more money for, teacher salaries. So what's that doing to the the whole morale and the the effectiveness, I guess I would say, of, of teachers and people wanting to be teachers.
5: Well one of the when we sit here and we talk about what the legislature, all the things that they're doing, um, totally counter to what the the governors We talked about it earlier. I think uh, uh, Denny brought it up earlier about, you know, the governor, the proposal that they came back with a compensation model that they said that we should be looking at. Everything they're doing is almost opposite of that. Um, It's almost as if they don't care. Um, Another uh, another good example um, of what I'm going to say is their solution to this problem. I think it's uh, Senate Bill uh, 358 or I'm sorry, not that one, I apologize, um, Senate Bill 205. Um, it started out as a bill that was really very good. Um, it was focusing on trauma-informed instruction, getting money to help educate our, our teachers and stuff and helping them with the social-emotional and so on. It, it, you know, it was good. We need more funding in that area. Well, what they tacked on to it, though, was in a proposed amendment, that basically gives an alternate route for teacher licensure. Basically what it says is if you have a bachelor's degree, uh, you can teach. You don't have to have any pedagogy. You don't have to have anything else. As long as you have a bachelor's degree, you can teach. Um, Not only that, but this week, the committee went back and they struck out the part that was the good part, which was the, the trauma-enforced instruction and so on. They even, they they withdrew that. So now the bill is just simply about the alternative ways of getting teachers, licensures to get them in to teach. So the whole, you know, when we talk about morale, well, (laughs) the morale is the state says, eh, anybody can teach, doesn't matter. Just put anybody in there. Um, Why do we think we have so many, you know, the association ISTA and the SD Teachers Association, we've been saying for over a decade what the commission found it took them a year and a half to do. We've been telling them for a decade, you know, where we are the lowest paid increase. I made more money. I mean, this is my 33rd year. I made more money back in 2001 for all and purposes than as I do now because I don't I didn't really because I was still lower on the pay scale. But a person at the top, it's. you you can buy, your purchasing power is less now than what it was back then. Um, So when people come in, they're enthusiastic. Um, Like say, for example, I know we've been very blessed. I said this earlier, uh, our referendum, our community has been phenomenally supportive of our public education here in our community. And and, and, and we love them for that. Um, There are other smaller communities. I know school corporations around me that over the last six to seven to eight years, they may have only had a 1% increase. That's it. Many of them have had zero increase. They are frozen at their steps because they have no way to be able to pay them. Um, this is when we, we I, I, I'll throw another one out there. I know teachers, I know this for a fact. I mean, I'm a chemistry teacher and I knew other chemistry teachers elsewhere. They had been in this corporation, this one corporation for 10 years. In the last five years, they hadn't had a single pay increase. Well, there was a position, chemistry position open in another local school corporation just right next door. They paid them for their 10 years, not as if they were five. They paid them, so they got a huge salary increase. Well, that's awesome. I mean, for them, that's good for them. They, they left in the middle of March and went over there to that school corporation. Well, the middle of April came around. The position that they left in the first corporation Still hadn't hired anybody. They went back and applied for their same position. The corporation paid them their five more years. They got a huge pay raise simply because they went to the other corporation in the back. In other words, corporations are trying to steal everybody else. They don't have enough, and it's this is, it's sad that we're having to eat each other in order to survive, um, and 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 it's just. You know, the state says, yes, we want to, you know, we, we love our teachers and everything else, Well, they're definitely not showing it. <laughs> and it, that's just not how you do it. So the morale, it's pretty low. I'll guarantee you that um, it is. However, the teachers never take that into their classroom. They love kids. They love their kids. and They're going to do everything they can for them um, and do the best that they can. Um, outside
6: of the classroom,
5: yeah, they're they're upset. There's no doubt about it.
1: All right. Thank you, Paul. Um, Sarah?
6: I think maybe Denny would be best to answer this, but if not, then please chime in and we'll direct it to somebody else. But this was a question that got sent in. Um, the says, voucher schools have been found to support segregation in Indiana 2019 through 2020. Enrollment was 57% white, 22% Hispanic, and 12% black. The diversity of the population continues to decline. Less than forty percent of voucher students have ever attended public school, which was originally required. What's being done to stop this scenario?
3: Well, I, I mean, I, I can't dispute those those numbers, um, but I, I mean, I'm probably it's probably a better uh, question for Terry if he feels comfortable with it. Because uh, I've never really dealt with that part of uh, dealing with with the voucher program, and Terry, I don't know if you can okay. speak to that or not.
4: I'd be happy to point out one statistic um, to update the number. We uh, this school year have an analyze have analyzed the enrollment data, and 61 percent of students in the choice scholarship voucher program have never attended a public school. And I was just talking to a state senator in the hallway about this yesterday when I testified on senate Bill 413. I said the choice scholarship voucher program doesn't save the state money. Uh, policymakers have been arguing that if students participate in the choice scholarship voucher program rather than enroll in public schools it somehow saves the state money because they're only paying out 90 percent of the tuition cost versus 100 percent. And I said to the senator well if 61 percent of the students in this program have never been enrolled in public school it's a new cost when they show up and apply to participate in the Choice Scholarship Program so that 90% of tuition support has never been paid by the state before because those students aren't and have not been in a public school. So that's about 19,000 students times the tuition support. So we're talking over $5,000 and that's real money that's being diverted from the traditional public school system for students who have never had an intention to be enrolled in public school. So that, that's one statistic or a couple of numbers I can share with you. Uh, I don't have the disaggregated uh, enrollment data by ethnicity in front of me. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll trust the numbers of that caller who submitted that question.
6: Yeah, I mean, is, is that an issue? I mean, Eric, maybe even you know if that's an issue with vouchers, is this idea that it further segregates schools. Yeah, I mean,
2: what I want to say, you know, yeah, I mean, those numbers like I said, I looked at another day, what was read out loud seems correct. I mean, the, we have seen an increase, you know, in the more middle-income white families using this, you know, in the past 10 years of this, of this program existing. And, well, I'm not really aware that anyone has attempted to, you know, to, address that in a legislative way. I will say, you know, last year we saw legislation attempting to prevent some private schools, um, especially of in Indianapolis who had um, fired staff uh, at, at religious schools who were involved, who were in a same-sex marriage. There was a movement to try and not allow private schools that discriminate to receive funding through the voucher program, you know, and that really didn't get anywhere. Um, so, you know, that's one issue that in terms of trying to change change that an aspect of discrimination, um, but I think people such as, I think we've seen like Vernon Smith from Gary, you know, when he talks about the vouchers, um, those are some of the concerns that is raised, but I'm not aware of legislation that's ever been filed to directly look at that problem.
1: So Eric, if you could, um, you can outline what's going on in terms of a couple of other key issues one is school safety which we've talked about uh for years and and another is you know another huge issue and the last year has been you know so- social justice and racial equality and and equity are there bills in for the schools that address either one of those issues and then after you sort of outline it either uh, terry or denny or paul can jump in
2: yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, school, you know, racial equity in schools, um, I I think is something that we're seeing at most school districts, I guess, look at, you know, I mean, back during, you know, the school board elections in the fall, you know, I I was seeing and reporting on school districts all over the state, that that was like an actual issue that the school board candidates were addressing because they were hearing it from families and from students and communities um, going forth. And I think that's definitely an issue that is, YOU KNOW, ON, on THEIR MINDS. LEGISLATIVE-WISE, OFFHAND, I'M NOT SURE OF LEGISLATION THAT IS that is THERE. MAYBE I CAN BE CORRECTED IF I'M WRONG. THAT IS LOOKING AT ON THOSE ISSUES. Um, CAN ANYONE ELSE ANSWER THAT ON THAT TOPIC? I wasn't well,
0: PAUL
4: MENTIONED SENATE BILL 205. Oh, that yeah. we STARTED, HAD SOME LANGUAGE THAT, um, YOU KNOW, TALKED ABOUT uh, SOCIAL EMOTIONAL LEARNING. social Mm -hmm. awareness those kinds of things that was more mental health and and um but not so much diversity equity or inclusion type legislation that was dealt more with trauma um there were a there was a bill or two filed typically um by democrat members so those bills haven't moved so frankly you know diversity equity and inclusion type legislation pertaining to schools has not on the front burner there's not really any any of the core bills moving that addresses the issue and then on school safety unlike last year last year isba tracked nearly 40 bills that were specific to school safety we were a lead advocate for asking for additional Mm -hmm. state grant monies uh, for the safe and secure schools grant and uh, we were able to work with the other associations and the legislative leaders to increase that by about five million dollars in 2019 that is um so yeah you know we've done a lot with school safety and there was a, a, a a handgun safety training bill that if a school district authorizes uh school personnel to carry a firearm that they must go through intensive firearms training i think that was senate bill 64 uh senator maholdman had that bill now that got out of the um well actually it's been held in the education committee so that's now dead but that bill did receive a hearing with testimony uh but that bill didn't emerge out of senate education so to my knowledge there are no school safety bills moving presently and no diversity equity or inclusion Mm -hmm. bills moving at this juncture
2: yeah i do think it's interesting that there was we had so much you know needed focus on school safety in past years you know and now there there's more requests for funding First, you know, health and safety, you know, because of COVID, you know, in the schools, uh, and I think, you know, districts. I'm sure everyone on this call, you know, is hoping that um, uh, the Biden administration is able, you know, to to have more money available for those costs that everyone is seeing going up as we go forward.
1: Eric, we only have a few minutes left, so are there other key issues that we haven't talked about that you think that the public should be keeping an eye on? And then I'll let Denny Terry and. And Paul mentioned any any key bills they're looking at, but, but sure.
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess what I've been hearing from people, I think, while I mentioned this call, you know, is the teacher pay issue. That was such a focus last year. Um, you know, and the, I think the report that came out from the governor's office estimated, you know, six hundred million dollars a year um, was needed, you know, to raise teacher pay. And in this budget proposal um, from the governor, and then the House budget, you know, we don't really see that in there. And I think that's going to be become a focus as we go forward. And these budget bills are debated more so i think especially you know this past year and as we heard on this call started i think the public has gotten a different appreciation for educators this past year you know because of covid families have seen how much work goes into it um so I, i do think the teacher pay issue is going to become at least discussed um why we're not addressing it more in this legislation
3: any 30 seconds yes i i just mentioned house bill 1008 1008 is dealing with what we call the learning loss uh, because of last year, and then some of the issues that come up with uh, with virtual instruction. Uh, there, this bill does have 150 million dollars in it. It has passed the House. It's in the Senate now. And the important thing about this 150 million, it is in this year. It's this year's money. It is not in the next year's budget. So uh, this is a this is a bill that the uh, education management associations have all supported, pushing very hard for. And so uh, again, that's that's again to help help out kids again with with learning loss. So uh, uh, hopefully that will will move forward and and uh, we'll we'll see that pass.
4: Okay Terry 30 seconds. One of the bills that we were uh, working hard against in the first few weeks of the session was the perennial legislation to mandate the start date of the school year after Labor Day. And uh, we prefer local control letting school boards work with their school communities to establish a start date that works best for their own community. There was some momentum gaining on that bill um, in the Senate education committee. We had to work hard against that bill. Uh, we were successful in the end that now is going to a study committee, but there will be no imposed mandate to start school, the school year after labor day. Thankfully uh, that was Senate bill 124. Again, that's off the table. It may go to a study committee to, to, have further discussion on the topic but it it will not be imposed upon public education next school year and we are thankful for that outcome
1: all right we are out of time paul i'm sorry i couldn't get to you but i want to thank paul farmer eric weddell dennis kasterison and terry spradlin for being here with us today and also my co-host sarah whitmeyer producer producer Benta boutier engineer john bailey i'm bob zaltzberg thanks for listening to noon edition
0: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org/Noon Edition. Production support comes from Smithville, Fiber Internet, Streaming TV, Home Security, and Automation in Southern Indiana. More information at Smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.